Can you remember church? I can. I was 13. A guy by the name of Reed Pfeiffer, some of you in the room may know him. We were at a uh, church camp in Bog Springs. Anybody been to the bog in the room? Whoop, whoop. The Holy Spirit was gripping my heart. And one of the counselors, Reed, I think he could see it. And he put his arm around me. We were walking across that big field from the worship center back to the cabin. And he said, is the Lord working on your heart tonight, Luke? I said, yeah, he is. And he said, do you need to trust in Jesus? I said, yeah, I do. And I gave my life to Christ. Can you remember? Can you remember when things were simple? When faith seemed so simple? Trust in Jesus and follow him. It's that easy, church, but life gets in the way, don't it? And becomes complicated. I want to encourage you, whenever you can, think back to the moment where things were so less complicated and far more simple when it was you and your Savior. It'll do wonders for your soul, amen? I hope you're doing well this morning. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors at Highland Chapel, and I'm thrilled to be here with you to open the Word of God with you this morning and to talk about Jesus. You ready for it? I want you to go to 2 Timothy. As you know, uh, we're in our sermon series called Letters to My Son. And we're, we're really at the halfway point. We've completed the first book. Now we're, we're into the second letter of Paul writing to Timothy. And we've titled it Letters to My Son. And we know that Paul and Timothy had this father-son spiritual relationship that Paul really mentored, took care of Timothy, and viewed him as his son in the faith. And in the first letter, we, we saw a lot of doctrine. We saw a lot of help where Paul was helping Timothy understand what the church, how the church should be organized and root out false teachers. And we're going to see a lot of that in the, the, the second letter, but not near as much as the first and what we'll see in the second one is this relationship, this, this care, really take off. You, you'll see some of the terminology change, and, and you'll start to really see this perspective of father-son. Why does the, the temperature of the letter change, so to speak? Well, a lot has changed for Timothy, and certainly a lot has changed for Paul as he writes the second one. As Paul is writing this second letter, his circumstance has changed dramatically. He's no longer a free man walking around. Paul's in prison as he's writing this letter. What we know is that he's in his more than likely last Roman imprisonment. He, he knows his fate. He's already been to trial. Chances are he knows the date of his execution is coming. And so I want you to have that perspective as we're going to read through this letter together. Hopefully you've read it in your own time, but I want you to have that perspective that he's in prison. What we know about the prisons in that time is it's basically like a dungeon. There's a hole cut in the, the roof where they would lower food. There was, there was no light. If he was to write this letter, it was by candlelight. It was a dungeon. It was terrible. He was in prison because of his faith. 
And as he's writing this letter, you, you really start to see the heart of a father poured out on paper for his son, Timothy. So don't forget that as we are reading through this. It's sometimes easy to to exclude context as you're going through the word of God. But I want you to keep that in mind. It's very endearing, sometimes sad, but it elevates the encouragement that Paul is supplying to Timothy. As you read towards the end of the letter, he he calls for Timothy. He says, come quickly. And when when you come this way, I want you to bring this, this, and this. And here's what's really sad. The, the, the chances are he never saw Timothy again. They never saw one another again. This is a father pouring out his heart for his son in the faith. He's pleading with him from start to finish. This is a precious letter inspired by the Holy Spirit given to us, the church, So let's see what the Word of God has for us this morning. 2 Timothy, we're going to start, we're going to read the very same passage that Keaton read for us this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 5. He says, I remember your genuine faith, Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm going to pause right there. This is not a point in the sermon. But all you mothers out there doing this thing by yourself, your faithfulness to Christ in your parenting of your children matters. Did you hear me? It matters. Lois and Eunice raised Timothy, a giant in the faith by themselves. You can do it. Stay faithful. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love self-discipline so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives you be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news for God saved us and called us to live a holy life he did this not because we deserved it but because that was the plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Do you see the heart of a father here? So much is in this letter, and these are the verses that we're going to hone in on this morning because I think there's some incredible truth, not just for Timothy, but for us this morning. I want you to write this down. Fan the flame. This is what Paul is writing to his son. Fan the flame. In context here, we, we see that he, he implores, Timothy says, fan the flame of that spiritual gift that was given to you when we laid our hands on you, son. Fan those flames. 
What, what, do we, what do we know about Timothy? If you can think back all the way to the first letter, what we learned about Timothy was that he more than likely was very timid. He was sickly, right? He, he had, had this chronic health issue. He was, he was timid and shy. And there's a great chance that at some point in this figuring out what the Lord had for him, he, he was reluctant to say yes to the call of God on his life. We, we, we know this about him. He, he, was, a, he was a timid man. He, he was shy. He was weak. Can anyone relate to that? Anyone relate to Timothy? And, and what we see here is that his father, come, coming close to his deathbed, is, is saying, fan the flame, son. F- fan the flame of the gift that God has given you. Fan that flame. Grow the spiritual gift. Increase your desire to serve him. Fan that flame, son. Fan the flame. Why is it so important for us to fan the flame? Because an unattended flame will surely burn out. It'll die out. It'll become useless. What does that mean for you and I this morning? What I I want us to understand is that I've said it many times in here, that when you and I trust in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit invades your life and he changes your life. And when that happens, he gifts you. Do you think you're gifted this morning? Raise your hand. Say, I know I'm gifted. Do you believe it? Man, some of you are just like, I don't know. I don't feel that way. I don't feel special. I don't know. I want everybody to raise your hand if you've trusted in Christ. Do you feel gifted this morning? You're gifted. The Holy Spirit has gifted you, whether you realize it or not. And what Paul is telling Timothy here, he says, listen, from the, from, from the moment we laid our hands on you, we knew that God had a calling on your life. We knew that God was going to use you in mighty ways. We don't know exactly what it was, but we knew that God has set you apart. He's called you. Guess what, child of God? He's set you apart. He's called you. And God is saying, my child, fan the flame. Let it grow. I've gifted you, now use it. Because a a, a flame not attended, not fanned, will just certainly burn out. It benefits no one. I saw this firsthand in the literal sense when I went on on an elk hunt in Colorado at around 12,000 feet. It was about six degrees at night. That's cold, church. And we were talking to the guy, and he was like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. You know, it's October. It's not super cold. Just bring a sleeping bag. You'll be all right. Church, he lied. <laughs> so in this wall tent, which is not an actual wall, it's canvas, there was this little heater, this little wood stove. And they had some wood chopped up for us. How nice of them. They're in another tent. And he was like, hey, just, just throw some firewood in there, and you'll, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. It's a long night, church. You're trying to sleep? Well, guess what happened to that fire? Man, you, you get that thing stoked, it's hot, and you're like, golly, come out your sleeping bag, you, you, you're burning up. So what we did is we got lazy. We didn't tend the fire. And we finally drifted off to sleep, all three of us in that canvas wall tent, And around 2 a.m., church, listen to me. I thought I was dying. (laughs) Never been so cold in my life. 
I woke up with this, with this urgency to save the lives of those around me. I thought, if nobody gets this fire going again, we're all going to die. We're going to perish in the middle of the night. They're going to thank me in the morning. So there I was in the middle of the night trying to get a fire going. It was terrible. But what happened is, is I was freezing to death, and I, and I finally got that, that stove going, and it warmed up the tent, and I was able to fall back to sleep. We woke up that morning, and I said, I saved your lives Saved your lives. You don't even know. A fire that's not attended will burn out. It certainly won't benefit you, and it certainly won't benefit those around you. So the, the, the father heart of Paul expressed to Timothy as he's saying, Listen, son, I get it, you're still there. You're still in Ephesus. And what we know is things really hadn't got much better. He's got a tall task ahead of him. And these wolves just keep popping up within the church. People keep stabbing them in the back. And life for Timothy is really just, it's just not easy. And Paul is telling his son, fan the flame. Child of God, He's telling you the very same thing this morning. Fan the flame. There's a giftedness within you that the Spirit has given you that I'm afraid many of you aren't fanning. You're not growing. You're not using. And be careful. An unattended flame, it'll burn out. And what good is it? So what he's saying here is, the Spirit has given you a gift. If you keep reading, he was like, we, we, don't, we don't have a spirit of timidity or fear. And many of you are crippled in your faith because you are scared. You, 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 let, the, you let the flame burn out because you're, you're scared of what God has for you. You're frightened whether that is your, your personality trait, you're just shy, you don't want to be used. You, you don't want to stand out, or you're fearful of what God might call you to. And, and, and Paul is saying, listen, the Spirit of God does not give you a spirit of fear. It does not give you a, a spirit of timidity. What it does is it gives you a spirit of power this morning. Do you feel powerful, church? That's kind of a weird question, ain't it? Do you feel powerful? You are. You've been given the Spirit of God. Are you fearful? Don't be. God's with you. All these are excuses used by Satan to keep you where you're at. And Paul is telling Timothy, that's not what the Spirit gives us. He gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't let fear be your excuse. Don't let your personality be your excuse. Use your giftedness. Fan the flame and watch God work in your life. He'll change your life and he will use this is crucial for us to move to the next point. He will use your giftedness to spread the gospel. Do you believe that? He will take what he has gifted you with to take the gospel further. Satan hates this. Satan hates this. Takes us to our next thought. I want you to write this down. Stand tall and suffer. This is what he's writing to Timothy. 
stand tall and suffer. Fan the flame of that giftedness. Allow God to use you. The gospel's going to go further, Timothy. Let God use you. But then I, I'm going to need you to stand tall and I'm going to need you to suffer. That's a fun point, ain't it? You're like, man, I'm glad I showed up this morning. Suffer? Fantastic. This is what he's telling his son. Let us not forget that Paul's in prison, church, when he's writing this. Stand tall and suffer. We get that from verse 8 and 9. Let's reread it. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. I don't know that we can get any more matter-of-fact than that, can we, church? And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. People were slandering Paul, saying that his faith wasn't strong enough to get him out of prison. They were bad-mouthing him. He said, don't be ashamed of me either, because I'm here. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Doesn't sound too fun, does it? But God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time. Stand tall and suffer. We need to understand this this morning. This is not one of those fun truths, but you're a note taker. It won't be on the screen, but I want you to listen to this. I want you to write it down. When we fan that flame, and God begins to use us, we will suffer. Did you hear that, church? I'm not going to get a bunch of echo amens on that one. I know it. We will suffer when we align our lives with that of Christ. It's going to happen. Are you okay with it? No, no, I, well, that's, that's, a, that's a serious question this morning, church. Are you okay with it? Are you okay with suffering for the sake of the gospel? Paul's writing to his son in this moment. He's like, hey, listen, it's not going to be easy. Life's going to be tough. They're going to come after you. Are you okay with it, son? I'm going to need you to stand tall, and I'm going to need you to suffer. Let's look at the words of Christ in Luke chapter 9, verse 26. If you don't want to turn there, it'll be on the screen. Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Those are the words of our Savior do you believe him this morning, church? you believe what he says here? If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Those are tough words, are they not? Man, we don't, we don't pick a book up in the, in the, in the bookstore and, and do a devotional on that, do we? we? We don't like to hear about that. But that's what Christ is saying. You're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. That's pretty matter of fact. Being linked with Christ, using your giftedness to further the gospel, will bring persecution to your life. It will. 
And I'm afraid that there is a message that's being propagated, being preached, being taught that's contrary to this. Say yes to Jesus. He will bring you health. He will bring you wealth. He will make all of your days wonderful. If you've been following Christ for any amount of time, you know that that's a lie. Amen? Man. And you're like, well, why do I want to say yes to Jesus? Because he can save your life. He'll change you. If you're on team Jesus, man, the world's coming after you. And you will suffer for the sake of the gospel. We are so tempted in our weak flesh to be ashamed of Christ and his message. And the world is growing increasingly more vicious towards Christians. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling it? As the hostility picks up, are you going to be ashamed? Are you going to be silent? Or are you going to stand tall and suffer? That's what Jesus is asking. That's what Paul is pleading. Stand tall and suffer. That's the plan from the very beginning, to stand tall and suffer for the sake of the gospel. Are you all right with it? John 15, 18 through 20. The words of Christ. He says, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will love you as one of its own, listen to this, if you belong to it. But you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. Powerful words. There's going to be something on the screen. I think it's a question. Throw it up there for me. There's the next slide. A question. Yeah. Does the world love you? Ask yourself this question. I want you to write it down. Does the world love me? Make it personal. Here's a bold statement. If you are friends with the world, you're not a friend of God. That's tough, ain't it? That's tough. What do I mean by that? Are you aligning yourself with the world or the gospel? By nature, we don't like to suffer. By nature, we don't like to be persecuted. By nature, we don't like to feel different. By nature, we don't want to stand out, do we? We want to fit in with the crowd. And Jesus is telling his disciples in this moment, he's like, listen, if you fit in with the world, if you're no different, the world owns you. The world has you. You're of the world. But if you're mine, the world will hate you. I want to make a statement. Jesus was offensive. You believe that? Well, we got silent. We got silent, church. Jesus was offensive. His offensiveness is what got him killed. You understand that, right? Jesus was offensive. His message was offensive. You're sinners. You need a Savior. I'm Him. Trust in me. Turn away from your sin. Live a life of righteousness and holiness. That was offensive. And, and if we proclaim the same message that the world in which we live desperately needs a Savior in Jesus Christ. He's the only way. That's offensive, church. When you stand for Him, when you stand for His Word, this is what's being attacked these days, when you stand for His Word, you'll be offensive. 
You'll be an outcast. You'll suffer. You're going to look different. You're going to be treated different. Are you okay with it? Your Savior says, if you are ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed of you. That's tough, ain't it? Paul is telling Timothy to stand tall and suffer for the gospel. How does this shake out for you and I these days? In a few weeks, students are going to start back to school. If you're a student in this room, stand tall and suffer for Christ. Your life's going to look a whole lot different than those of your classmates, than those of your friends, perhaps. You're going to look different. You're going to talk different. You're going to act different. And the world's going to come after you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to persecute you. Are you okay with standing tall and suffering? In a few weeks, we're going to pray for teachers and students, but I want you to start praying for them right now. They're going into a dark world, standing firm on the gospel. Pray for them, would you, church? If you go into your workplace, are, are, are you going to stand tall and suffer for the sake of the gospel, even if it puts your job on the line? Even if it means you're going to be persecuted? Even if it means you're going to be treated different? Are you going to stand tall and suffer? In your relationships, it may cause you to lose relationships. Are you going to stand tall and suffer? Even though those around you exclude you, are you going to do that? This is what Paul is telling Timothy. This is what God is telling you and I. Stand tall and suffer for the sake of the gospel. Does the world love you? If it does, I would be a little bit concerned. But let me explain this, though. How does this, how does this, what does this mean to suffer? Because our flesh, everything inside of us is telling us that is not fun, right? No one wants to do that. You ever heard a, a foreign missionary come on Sunday or, or you ever heard one speak and, man, they talk about living in third world conditions and, and no electricity and, uh, you know, scared to get bit by a snake because there's not a doctor around. And you, you ever sat through that and just go, why? Am I, am I by myself on that? You've never asked the question? You, you never hemmed them up in the hallway and you're like, why are you doing that? Why are you taking your kids there? Why, why are you living in those conditions? Why are you suffering like that? You ever, you ever thought that? You ever thought that, church? And then if you were to ask that missionary, why are they doing that? They would say, I'm not suffering. I'm doing the will of God. You ever heard that? Because when we say yes to Jesus, when we stand tall and suffer for his sake, it's not suffering. Did you hear that? It's not suffering. It's obedience. Oswald Chambers, you don't know who that is. I didn't until I was reading for this, but he was an early 20th century evangelist. He wrote this quote. I love it. He says, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. You believe that? He chooses God's will, just as Paul did, whether it means suffering or not. When you say yes to Jesus, when you start to fan the flame of giftedness, and he starts to use your life to further the gospel, persecution will come. Will you stand tall and suffer in obedience to the gospel? 
We can choose God's will, church. Did you know that? We can choose it for our life regardless of the outcome because of this last point. I want you to write this down, that we are sustained by grace. Sustained by grace. Did you hear that? Sustained by grace. Because this second point, if you will, that's not very much fun, is it? That was pretty dark. It was pretty grim. Man, if I'm going to align my life with Christ, it's going to be tough. It's going to be so tough. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be persecution. People are going to come after me. They're going to hate me. That's not a lot of fun. But we get to this last part. We can breathe easy. We can say yes to the will of God because we are sustained by the grace of God. Do you believe it? We really need to believe that this morning. I'm going to ask that question again. Do you believe it, church? That your life is held and upheld, sustained by the grace of God. He holds you. The grace of God, excuse me, the will of God will never take you or the grace of God won't sustain you. You ever heard that? I'm going to repeat it. The will of God will never take you or the grace of God won't sustain you. And that's anywhere and everywhere. What's he doing in your life? What's he want out of you? What's he gifted you with? Where has he called you to stand firm and suffer? He's with you. We, we get this from the very beginning of the letter. Never rush over Paul's introduction. There's so much for us. 2 Timothy 1 verse 2. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you what, church? Grace, mercy, and peace. Why does he open with this? Because he knows his following words will only ring true if the grace of God sustains Timothy. Same for you and I this morning, church. If we are going to make it, if we are going to live for him, If we are going to do what he asks us to do, we can only make it by his grace. We need to understand that. What that does should fill your your life with hope, should fill your life with boldness, should fill your life with a willingness to serve him because we know he's going to be there. We know that he's enough. If we read the the end of verse 9, it says, that was the plan from the very beginning to show us his amazing grace through Jesus. That was the plan all along. It's for him to demonstrate his grace on your life from start to finish. And he'll help you. He'll hold you. He'll sustain you. When you stand in that dark, scary place, standing firm for the gospel, he's with you. When you're standing there and feel so weak and timid and shy, just like Timothy, he's with you. His grace is with you. He'll hold you. He'll keep you. His grace is for you this morning. So we can look at this letter. We can look at these tough words in chapter 1. We can look at Paul's life in prison. Remember, the guy writing this is in prison. He's like, God's grace is good. Man, what faithfulness to write those words from prison. And then he's writing to Timothy. who He knows persecution is coming his way. He's like, God's grace is good. It's going to hold you. And then God is telling us this morning, the world you're living in is rotten. You believe that? Get amen on that one. It's rotten. And it hates Christ. And as we stand for him, guess what he's saying? My grace is going to hold you. 
It's going to keep you. It's going to help you. Man, it's good. Do you believe that, church? So we can push forward. We can stand firm. We can make those tough decisions. We can hold fast to the word of God, every ounce of it, and know that God's grace will keep us. It'll protect us, and it'll hold us. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious letter written to Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us. Got to pray for those in this room that are your children, that are trying their best to stand for you. May you keep us, may you help us, may you sustain us. Help us, God, to serve you. Help us to use our giftedness. Help us to suffer well because we know that your grace has us this morning. Thank you for Jesus. We ask everything in his precious name. Amen.